This is Monica Perez, and I am so excited today to speak with my two guests about college vaccination mandates, among other things. Joni, known as Lady Spaulding on Twitter, is a mom and activist and so much more, who co-founded NoCollegeMandates.com. Kate, Kate Friedemer on Twitter, is a personal friend of mine who happens to have a master's degree in public health and is an independent college admissions coach, as well as a very outspoken critic of bad school policy. These gals really know what they're talking about, and they sure have the courage of their convictions. So get ready. We're doing a double tank with today's Dive Masters. Hi, Joni. Hi, Kate. Hi. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited about this. I feel like we're all on the same wavelength. And uh, not only are you guys very serious about what's happening in the world, which can be kind of depressing, but you're very upbeat and fun-loving. So <laughs> these, are, these are my favorite conversations. And Kate, I'm going to ask you to kind of help me uh, dig in with Joni because of sure. your background is so um, apropos. And Joni, I'd love for you to kind of launch the conversation with, you know, what you're doing and how you got there. Okay, thanks um, very much. And also, Kate, I'm really looking forward to hearing, um, you know, asking you some questions and getting your feedback. Oh, um, sure. I'll do my best. <laughs> I fell into this a bit accidentally. Um, I used to, my last gig was I owned a brownie and cookie bar mail order company. And I closed it in November just because I was done. And I thought I was going to slide into retirement. My son was going back for his um, junior winter term at Dartmouth. And mid-December, they announced a booster mandate. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought, you know, this is not okay. Um, it just, there was no scientific reason for that. I did not want him to be boosted. And so I put out a tweet. Um, oh, first I went to the Facebook page for Dartmouth parents and I'm not, I'm not really a Facebook parents page kind of joiner. <laughs> they tend to not be um, of like mind as I am, but I was trolling for like-minded people. So I just put up a post and said, um, I'm not crazy about this um, mandate, this booster mandate. I'm going to write a letter to Dartmouth. If there's anyone else who's interested in doing this, please private message me. That's all I said. Okay. Um, and I peeled off a couple of people really quickly. And one woman, uh, Lucia Sinatra, was um, uh, the mother of a first-year student there. And she was really all in right away. And then we got a couple more people, but mostly we got terrible pylons of how dare okay. you... Um, we want to go back to normal. We right. need this booster to be safe. And, you know, I didn't really want to get into the back and forth, but it was a really right. hot topic. So we had about 12 parents. And it, what I realized in that time was it's really difficult to find your people when you're a college stakeholder. Like if it were an elementary school or high school, you know, you know, these parents have banded together. It's because they live in the same town. They see each other. They know who everybody is. You can find each other. And it was very clear to me that you can't find each other. Right. And so I felt, what could I do? So I went on Twitter. I had 115 followers at the time. And I put out a tweet and said, hey, are there any parents who are feeling this way? Um, private message me. And I copied a couple of high volume Twitter people and they reposted it. I asked them to do it. And the next day I had like 80 direct messages. My tech guy from my old business said start a telegram group. So I did all this. And um, then we somebody in the group had um, Fox News connections. And we were on Fox and Friends. And then boom, the group blew up to like over 2000 people. So that's you were on it, Fox and Friends? I was on Fox and Friends. And I've also been on um, uh, Laura Ingraham because she's a Dartmouth alum. 
right? And oh, my kid goes yeah. to Dartmouth. And so she was very interested in our letter to Dartmouth. Um, we had a couple other stakeholders on um, Fox as well, some uh, professors, people of like mind. But that was the whole point was just, I figured we'd have 30 or 40 parents around the country join together and you know talk about this or whatever, but it just blew right up. And so it started just writing letters, um, creating community in the Telegram group, which is still a really vital part of what we do. It's sort of like a town square where people can find each other. You can find other stakeholders from colleges that you're interested in. You can get the idea of what it's really like on the ground. Because sometimes when you read the the, um, websites, you don't really know. Like they offer religious exemptions. How hard is, is it to get one? Did they change their policies at the last minute? How draconian have they been? And we find that creating this space for people to find each other when they're not on the ground together has been great. Um, so that's the intro part. And that was last January. So what is your Telegram channel? Oh, that's, um, it's called No College Vaccine Mandates. I better look that okay. up. I'll, I'll confirm that. Yeah. Because your website is nocollegemandates.com. That's correct. We didn't, we didn't okay. want to get deplatformed. Right. We're on WordPress, sure. right? So we just, and No College Mandates is just, you know. I've been platformed for WordPress. So it does happen. And it's quite <laughs> yes. devastating if you're yes. in too deep already. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how many people would you say uh, have been involved at uh, maybe uniques, as they say? Um, well, in our Telegram group, we have about 2,600 people. And then from a Twitter following standpoint, uh, Lucia, who's the co-founder on her personal, she has maybe 7,500. I have 8,500 followers. And then we also have a website that gets visits. Um, and so those are just the people that we feel like are in the community at large. And then we've also run campaigns and efforts where we've had hundreds of parents sign up and do the work to get these things out. Wow. Now, I would like to hear Kate's story because she, I, I feel like she's an accident, accidental activist. Like she would be an active activist, but she, her story just blows my mind because she's so bold. Uh, and then maybe she can tell us a little bit about some of the actual, how do you find information about schools you're interested in from right. if you're worried about vaccines? So let, Kate, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of your backstory and then some things that fold into sure. our uh, So, I mean, my background as I grew up in a medical family. Um, and then I ended up, I got my master's in public health at Emory with my MBA. And I went from there to Booz Allen Hamilton, where I uh, worked at the CDC. Basically, it's staff augmentation con- consulting. Um, and I actually worked in preparedness. And um, my MPH is actually in environmental and occupational health. So that includes any environmental exposure, any work exposure, all OSHA things, including masks. Um, So I was really surprised when um, the pandemic started that the mask thing became an issue. Um, So that's a a little bit about the background. And then um, I was not active on Twitter at all, really. I had an account I had created years ago, but when the whole thing started, I enrolled my daughter in a private school in Atlanta, St. Martin's, and um, (laughs) I never did sign anything. But anyway, um, basically, they had the kids masked. They had them eating outside in the cold, the rain. When they did eat inside, if the weather was really too bad, they had to eat silent lunch, separated from each other. And then the final straw for me was um, in early December or late November last year, um, when everyone started talking about Omicron, they decided 
to put up opaque shields around the kids. So not only could they not speak, they couldn't see. So they were like total sensory deprivation. So I had spoken to the school, you know, when are you going to get rid of these mandates, whatever. And it seemed like they just continued to get worse. So I made the decision, I don't know <laughs> if it was the right decision, to call them out on Twitter. And... Um, tagged them, said they were basically harming children. And then Megyn Kelly retweeted it. Then I got a call from the school asking me to take it down. I said no. Um, and then it just went super viral. And then they expelled my daughter. How'd that uh, go over? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, she's, she's very resilient. I hate that word, but this is actually a good, yeah. um, real resilience, not, you know. Suffering. I mean, kids are losing their minds just not being allowed to be vaccinated. And I like, know. you've like outed her on national, <laughs> national stage. <laughs> on what grounds did they expel her that you were, you can't speak out against the school? Because I'm seeing Correct. that in some prep school language now. Yeah. It is, it's in the contracts. Basically, if you say anything, you, they have a, the complete freedom to oust you. Wow. When, when did that start? Has that always been an element of private schools? My understanding through, there's a group called Undercover Mothers that's been sort of taking on NAIS, which is the National Association of Independent Schools. And they're the ones that have all these workshops and they train people on these contracts. And the contracts have gotten more and more restrictive as the years have gone on. It used to just be like, you know, some version of you agree to pay the tuition and, you know, <laughs> yeah. show up. And now it's, you know, very different. I had that problem because my husband is not as cynical as I am. So when like on the day after public school started or a week after public school started, but before the private school my son was going to started, they put out the VAX mandate. And I was like, oh, so it's too late for him to switch or matriculate or anything. And I said, and you know what? I bet... I bet it said in the contract back in April that they could have whatever policies they wanted and you were still on the hook for the money. And my husband was like, yeah, I'm on the hook for a lot, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And we still said like, no. And we were kind of hoping they would just kick him out and say, well, we're kicking him out, so we'll give you the money back. But they didn't. They accepted his exemption thing, which is, no. I mean, I guess good. But now he's in the school that's a little what I call vax borg. So like everybody's just plugged into the borg. And it's just about the virtue thing. And you're making the statement about who you are. And he can handle it. He is that guy. But it causes conflict with parents and children who yes. aren't on the same page because kids are so completely peer pressured into conforming. Now, maybe because you live in Georgia, maybe it's not so bad for your daughter, but I could see that causing a real mental, like almost a break in some kids. Yeah. Um, when it happened, we told her that we were just taking her out of the school and she would not accept that as an, as the answer. So I ended up letting her read the entire thread with me and the headmaster. And she ended up at the end of it, she laughed because it was so ridiculous. So, he got so ridiculous. Uh, no, she laughed because the whole situation is so ridiculous. Right. But, you know, so right. yes, he was ridiculous. He's a ridiculous man. Um, <laughs> is he still the headmaster? No, he's moved on to another Episcopal school in Minneapolis. I forget what the name is. Right. Well, you should probably remember just in case anyone. <laughs> I know. I know. I should look that up. Well, I mean, there is so much. So, so this actually is then for both of you. Maybe this is kind of not in any kind of order, but if you are thinking about going to schools, whether it's a prep school or college, because you, Kate, you have a son in college also, right? Yes. He's at Georgia so, Tech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're a college consultant, as it happens. Mm -hmm. I am. So, 
how do you guys recommend people approach this problem? Do you recommend uh, going to the school you want and hoping that the vaccine policy changes later or that you get an exemption? Or uh, do you seek out non-vax mandate schools? And on top of that, do you guys think or observe that the schools that don't have a vaccine mandate are, have all of a sudden become way, way harder to get into because they get so many more applications? Right. Well, I'll start with that. Um, I think that I know it's sometimes it's not practical to tell your kids like what they can and can't consider in some situations. But we advise if you can only consider schools that have never mandated or who drop them very, very early and have not mandated masking and have not had compulsory testing and have not had, you know, ridiculous quarantining, you know, some schools will, you know, you have a mandatory compulsory test and you're asymptomatic, you feel fine and you're thrown into quarantine for 10 days. So it's, I mean, the vaccine mandate is what we're focused on, but there are a lot of other policies that are really bad. So we would say, if you can consider schools that don't have mandates, However, like in New York State, all of the SUNY and the CUNY schools have, um, you know, mandates in place. Some have dropped the booster mandates, but we think it's just because they're getting ready to mandate this new bivalent booster. Mm -hmm. So somebody who needs to go to a state school because, you know, they're not flush with cash, you know, they're in a tight spot. So um, that seems yeah. almost like uh, unequal protection. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but that happened yeah, yeah. in California, all the state schools and Many, many colleges that are community colleges under the California system mandate, not all. Um, but yeah, so when you have like Virginia, they all mandated until the election changed things. And then the AG said, you know, no more. So they don't mandate. But if you're in a state in, schools. In, yeah. I mean, California, I have a son in the public high school who was last year, special needs guy. Um, and they didn't. The principal actually sent out an email saying if the governor mandates it, all you have to do is fill out the form correctly and we will give anyone an exemption who claims an exemption like because the parents were up in arms and it was paradoxical yeah. for me because as a libertarian, like I hate the public school stuff, but in California, parents have been so active and like equal protection stuff that you kids, yeah. your kids basically can't get shut out. They can't get kicked out just because of the legacy right. way it was. Uh, but what's happening in colleges when, because colleges are so expensive. I live in California. If the California colleges all have vaccine mandates. That is a real problem for our financial situation. That's exactly right. And so there are people that can't, you know, they don't have the luxury to shop around for colleges that don't mandate. Um, the, and as far as like taking your chances, if you are going to look, and I'm really interested to see, Kate, I don't know what part, how much of your demographic is even taking this issue up, although it seems to me that more and more people have this in their calculus. But if you, to take your chances, what I would do is make sure you get on the ground with people who are there and understand, do they give religious exemptions or do they just say they will? For instance, Boston College, we found the Jesuit colleges are terrible. They don't really give them. You can have a religious exemption for every other vaccine, but not for COVID. That upsets me so much. I wrote a seven page letter, which I never had to use. And lawyers have told me if it's a seven page letter, it's not going to work and right. don't do that. It opens you up to all sorts of crap. However, what it is useful for is uh, actually explaining to people why it's not, it's, I don't think that they're, that these prophylactic gene therapy experimental 
injections are consistent with Catholic law. Like there, I found the stuff on gene therapy and they said only if you have serious disease and the chances of injury from this thing uh, is much lower than your disease. And the, nobody has the disease. That's the whole point of it, calling it a vaccine. So I think it's inconsistent. Moderna and Pfizer both in their processes use aborted fetal cells. Mm-hmm. Of They say, well, this was just a couple of babies from the 60s. I'm like, well, it's still if, an abortion, right? And, and the Catholic Church says that you cannot use body parts of a dead person without their consent. And there's no way these babies could consent. And their mothers who did consent on their behalf didn't have their interest at heart, obviously. So mm. they have to be disqualified. If you murder your spouse, you don't get the insurance money. Like you are not in the line <laughs> of succession there. So there are numerous, numerous reasons that I outlined why that and the church, the Pope does not speak, hasn't spoken ex cathedra in my lifetime for sure. So you don't have to listen to the Pope. He is not infallible in anything but matters of faith and morals, which hardly ever gets used. So when he said this nonsense about it's moral to do it, you don't need to listen to that at all. So the Catholic thing, they should absolutely give the the exceptions. And I know that they don't. I know someone who was working in a Catholic nursing home who lost her job. They wouldn't give her the exemption, but they gave it to uh, someone of a different religion. Mm -hmm. A different religion. So it was a Catholic nursing home, would not give it to her. And she's a staunch anti-abortion activist and they would not give it to her. So she lost her job right in the precipice of retiring. Yeah, it's it's really been mind-boggling with the schools. Um, it, you know, and BC has been horrible, really, really horrible. So what, what do you attribute that to? You know, it's really hard to say. I mean, if you're a really big conspiracy theorist person, you could say, well, the Jesuits have an agenda, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of things that happen at different schools. You get a lot of groupthink because over the years we've selected out, we've well, we've eliminated heterodoxy, right? So the people like you might have one or two conservative um, professors on staff and the people who are making the decisions for COVID policy are now like much less inclined to go against any kind of public health narrative. That's number one. And then you look at how cozy these people are with the Gates Foundation and and how cozy they are with Anthony Fauci um, and the flow of federal money into these schools. I mean, for instance, the eight IVs, I've quoted this so many times, eight Ivy League institutions, and they're all private, except for a couple of like public land grant colleges at Cornell. Um, they get every year, and this isn't COVID money, $3.5 billion from the federal government. And 62% of that, or some number about that area, is from the NIH. Hold the on. Department of Health and Human Sa- Yes, you heard me. Billions? $3.5 billion. Dollars. Like $400 and million dollars each on average. Yeah, on average. It depends on if they have a medical school, like right. Columbia gets and a lot research, from a medical right? school. Well, it's research. research. Some of it's Department of Defense spending. Some of it's like um, teaching grants. It, it's it's a big salad of different things. But a lot of that money comes from the Department of Health and Human Services, from the NIH. That is, he, and, and the NIH is not a disinterested party in vaccination. The ten UC schools get about four. They get over four billion dollars. This is all public information. And it's not. So, it's not just a problem in how it manipulates their outward um, policies, but what they're doing with that money in itself, the stuff that they do for the Department of Defense, the stuff that they do with the medical yeah. research, the stuff that they do with experimental gene stuff, patenting actual individuals' genes and all that stuff. It's serious ethical issues. And they're obviously totally uh, you know, captured by, by the 
I, you know, I, I don't even want to call it the government at that point. It feels like the corpo governmental continuum. Right. right. I don't think it's like, I got this money, therefore I have to mandate vaccination. I don't think it's that straightforward. I think it's that we get all this money. We think the way these people think. We want a virtue signal. I mean, if you look at the number of colleges that had Pfizer executives, like for instance, BC had a Pfizer lawyer talk at their um, like graduation this year. And I'm like, it, and it, so this is happening all over the place. I think that people don't think outside of their thought bubble. So you're having people make these policies just not really doing any um, risk benefit analysis. I know I've gotten off track. My point yeah, is. Yeah, no, no, that's that, true. Yeah. Yeah. I just think if you can go to a school that's never done it, that's what you should choose. If you can't, make sure you understand. Like in my kids' school, they seem to grant all religious exemptions. That's not the case everywhere. Two things. I've always objected to having no cost benefit of analysis from the beginning, from the first week of lockdown. I was like, this is the most regressive policy I've ever seen in my right. life. All the people I know who have an extra bedroom, a Costco thing, and tons of money have just bought every single roll of toilet paper out of Costco. Every right. one of their kids, you know, has their own <laughs> laptop and their own bedroom and their own bathroom. And every right. single one of them is sitting there zooming their hearts out yep. and lamenting, you know, that they only get one prom this year or whatever. And all the poor people who are stuck together don't have, it's just was awful. And those are the people who had those um, public facing jobs. So anybody right. who's a bus boy or, oh, it was awful, awful. That's the great reset was to reset. Everybody was poor. Everybody was minority. Every, all the women who were out working were the ones staying home with the kids. Like it was, that was the reset. Um, but also I have a word for when they don't ask the questions that they can't afford the answer to, which I think is an updike concept, but I call it the ethical glass ceiling. So mm, it's just, you just ask the question until you know that you've got the answer you need and you just stop asking the questions after right. that. And that I think that is what's at play. And I think, and you can see this with, um, I remember watching that hilarious video out of San Francisco where the anchor woman was saying all those really silly names of the Asiana Air pilots. <laughs> and there was like joke names, which, you know, they, it definitely sounds racist, but it was just ridiculous that she was just reading this. And I'm, and I'm thinking she's... And they were obscene a, too. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes, yes, yes. And she yeah. was on the air. But I was like, she's just a conduit. Like, can't you see that? She's not thinking about this. She is a pipe with a face on it. So you can't see <laughs> who's actually saying that. And that's what I think a lot of these, they just, they, that you get ahead in these organizations for either really well articulating the existing paradigm or by uh, just, you know, having a sense of what it means to go with the flow. But I hear your recommendation to try something that has, like, that they've just always been ahead of it. I think that's probably a very short list of colleges. So Kate, like, what do you, what's your, uh, if you remember my original question about how do you recommend people to deal with the VAX problem? And if um, they're that to try to do what Joni is saying is just impossible. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, in my experience, a lot of people aren't asking enough questions about it. Um, they're still very caught up in the the name, the brand, mm -hmm. whatever. And it's funny, for whatever reason, and you mentioned virtue signaling, Joni, I think that especially the elite schools seem to be the most caught up yes. in this virtue signaling. And I can't remember where I read this because I, I read too much and I can't recall like you can, Monica, but I read a, a thing about how the virtue signaling is really to the other elites. So they're sort of competing and who can be more virtuous. And I don't know if you saw um, or you listened to Vinay Prasad, but he just came out with like a sub stack about Duke's new policies that they just announced for this fall. It's 
insane. It's ridiculous. They're mandating the booster. They're masking everywhere. They're testing everybody before they come on campus. They're, I mean, it's, it's as if we haven't moved on from like June, 2020. Yeah, let's put a timestamp on this. We're having this conversation in the middle of August 2022 when the variants, so, you know, and I, I've had it twice. I've had COVID twice. My 93 year old mother just got over it. So it's, at, you know, it's a thing that makes you sick for sure. Uh, what, I don't know where it came from because I am in the rabbit hole, but uh, it definitely makes you sick. But both times I got it from a vaccinated person. So, and they're saying like this variant isn't covered by the original vaccine. So you have to get a booster to deal with this variant, but we're already moving past the efficacy of the boosters. And then that Governor Isley is whatever his name is he was like i'm not going to mandate the booster but you have to make sure you get the first two shots i'm like but aren't we 100 percent sure like no one disputes the first two shots no longer work which is why you need the booster like it's craziness well and especially after the cdc just came out with these new guidelines that basically say that the vaccines don't defer any difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated people and that asymptomatic people should not be tested which brings up the question that you know when you were talking about testing of incoming people to duke you know dartmouth announced that you have to have a test when you get back on campus this year i just wonder now that that guidance is out are they going to drop these policies you know will they now say oh the cdc says so we're not going to do these things that will be very interesting to me but what anyway, you, think, you were saying. Um, I, I, it'll be really interesting to see. I looked up Georgia Tech's uh, information right before we came on, and they're archiving their, uh, they had like a tracker website, and it says we're archiving this. They're just going to be testing the wastewater. They're not going to be offering asymptomatic testing anymore. Right. They're just done, um, which is great. So the kids can really get back to normal. I mean, it was pretty normal at Georgia Tech last year. That's um, a state school, right? It is. The state system of Georgia did not allow mandates, which was great. Um, But of course, Emory is like off the charts. Right. Now, do you find that more people are applying to Novak schools, Kate, in your college counseling business? Well, because of where I am, I mean, people tend to apply to more schools in the Southeast just because most of my clients are in the Southeast and, you know, people like big SEC schools or big football schools. So uh, most of those schools were relatively reasonable. Um, But yeah, you do have people. Do you think, do you think they're harder to get into now because of that? Can you tell that? Yeah. yeah. They're harder to get into because of that. People are having a much harder time adjusting their expectations to the new reality of getting into Oh oh, no, we're losing. There you go. Okay. Yeah. uh, Getting into what, for example? You said Auburn. 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 Or, wow. Yeah, Auburn, really? Alabama, Clemson. You yeah. told us that was a safety school. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it depends on the student, but you I know, know you are. Right, right, right. Okay. Right, sorry. Exactly. I didn't mean to. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know that. I'm sure that has some judgment thing on it. But I asked my son just the other day, I said, hey, you know, can't you just like with this common application apply to Stanford and Harvard since I went there? And that's where I met your dad. So like we have, you're like a quadruple Stanford legacy. And he said, mom. I don't want to go there. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's, he just no interest whatsoever. It's like, I want to go to school in the South because LA, the lockdown has been so 
it's horrible. Just, yes, yeah. it's been it's been um, so bad for their spirit. And even though, like, he's on one end of the spectrum, and my daughter's on the other end of the spectrum about what they think about this stuff, it's been devastating for both of them. Like, there's no being the the one who virtue signals or being the one who doesn't believe it doesn't make a difference at all. It's been and I and I you know I am mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole, so I think that for the most part, there's plenty. There was the people who put the word out what the policies were going to be because I don't think any of us here can deny that the that there had to have been some coordination or some memo or some authority who advocated or outlined the policies because the policies you would not you would not arrive at those policies unanimously by independent cost benefit analysis research. Somebody put that word down. And I think that those people fully investigated what the impacts would be. And if you can foresee the mental health issues that this would arrange, or like I was saying before, the economic stress on uh, less privileged people, then it has to be part of your intention. If you can foresee it, and don't avoid it or anyway. So, but I feel like they must have known the psychological impact of this and they did it anyway. And it's devastating. And I, I feel like maybe it's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree there. I mean, I think there was something that's come out in the UK recently that they knew and did it anyway. Um, so I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years as hopefully there's some sort of sunshine act or something to dive into this. Oh, I have two things about that. One is that there was a a document, it's 2017 SPARS documents on the John Johns Hopkins website. And it was a scenario that was done by the a guy who used to work at the Esalen Institute, was at the Stanford Research Institute. And it was really a script. It's like a media script. It has 12 chapters or 15 chapters, whatever. And it says, like, if the president likes a certain therapeutic, will the other party reject it? And and we had that. We had that actually happen. And this was from 2017. And I believe it was also about a novel coronavirus. And there were a lot of things like that. If there's a massive um, ice storm blackout in a state that isn't used to it, and their propaganda feeds go down. How will we get the word out to get the vaccines to um, get people vaccinated? And that's exactly what happened in Texas. Like the timing was perfect. And uh, they, telegraph, they telegraph a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Yes, they really do. And astounding. Um, so in that, at the end, in like the appendix, it says we we the president and the health department we're deciding how to address all the vaccine injuries. Should we thank, thank the people who got vaccinated for their sacrifice? Should we join them in their grief and mourning? Or should we not be specific about that? This is in that document. And that document absolutely tracks. So you should look at it as 2017 SPARS document. I'll put it in the show notes. Well, I think the answer they came up to that was, um, no, we won't join them. We won't acknowledge them. And we'll pretend nothing like that is even happening. I mean, yeah. when they say they don't see a safety signal, I don't know what it's going to take for them to see right. the safety What would signal. it take? How, yeah. how far would it have to get? And they've already actually, I think, passed that hurdle because uh, somebody sent me, tweeted at me, a Wall Street Journal article about all the things that are like the cancer. If you know anybody who has like a blood cancer or cancer, like they're coming back. They're like, oh, I was cured of this and now I've got this cancer again. Right, I'm right. convinced that's part of that. So strokes, heart attacks, cancer, like all this stuff that's coming back with a vengeance, uh, rare blood disorders, all of that stuff. They've already constructed how 
COVID itself or the lockdown policies, but not the vaccines are at fault right. here. People yeah, that, qu- that question hospital. never gets asked. Never gets yeah. asked. So they were already constructed. But one thing that is definitely down the rabbit hole, so I don't know if you guys even want to touch this question, but there were two prominent female collegiate athletes who supposedly commit suicide, re- committed suicide in the past whatever year, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it was the, Stan- the, Stanf- the Stanford, Stanford soccer. Stanford, Miles. And then, yeah. Who, and was, who another, else was it? Is it a softball player? Maybe. She was this. also blonde, like a beautiful yeah. blonde young star athlete. I forget her name. And with absolute, you know, heart, it's heartbreaking that this is, I mean, just terrible. I know a, a high school athlete who got myocarditis and fortunately it didn't kill him, but I worry. But these these women are reported to have committed suicide. Right. And you could take that either way. Like the, the lockdowns were so devastating, although both of these girls seem to be on top of the world still, or that there is such a massive cover up that the real causes of death are not being released. Because I noticed with like some of these actors and stuff, you can go back Ray Liotta, like you can go back and they will never release the cause of death for these people. And I, um, my son is a little flippant. He calls it spontaneous combustion because they're, they're ta- ta- talking about, they ha- invented this thing called SADS. Right. I mean, like SIDS. It's called sudden adult death syndrome. And my son was like, What's the syndrome? Like, what are the other symptoms? Like, can you live with SADS? And he's like, I don't think so. It's just plain sad. Um, the, the issue of the suicides is very interesting. I mean, there are some people who think that it's possible that there's a brain inflammation that happens. I mean, I don't know of any data that supports that, but there were other suicides that happened. Um, I know that there were, I think, six deaths at Cornell um, last year, and some were seemed to be accidents, but there were a couple that were sudden deaths in their sleep. Um, and you don't know if that's code for suicide because schools don't necessarily want to put that out. Although Cornell is when, you know, they might have two or three deaths a year from somebody jumping off the bridges. But so those were really sad too. But one of the most concerning things that I think the data really supports is the risk of myocarditis in the young cohort. Um, that in the sweet spot that is college students. I mean, myocarditis is a higher risk from the vaccine than getting sick from COVID is. And yet they're mandating these products for young men. And women get myocarditis too. There was a woman, in um, a young woman, 19 years old, died of acute myocarditis in New Hampshire. There was a student at uh, SUNY in a community college there. He died of um, after the Pfizer vaccine and it was ruled a vaccine death. So these things are being mandated. And then furthermore, they don't know what the um, effects on fertility are. They don't. You know, they can say all the live long day that the menstrual disruptions, oh, they're so transitory. Well, my question is, why are there menstrual disruptions to begin with? Like what's getting into the, you know, the reproductive system? The study that came out of Israel on sperm counts of sperm donors, right? Oh, it resolved after five months. There's no need to worry. Well, I don't know. To me, I think even if the data is not entirely clear, you pump the brakes. These are kids of reproductive age who, you know, don't need to get myocarditis, right? I mean, when, when people say, oh, it's rare, it's transitory, that's because it's not your kid getting myocarditis. Well, and right? it's because it's, it can't have possibly been uh, the subject of any kind of long-term study. Safety studies, there aren't. Long-term. Right. I mean, it right. hasn't been long-term. And not to mention the most egregious thing I have ever heard, and this is not uncommon, is that they vaccinated the people in the control group. Right. They, they so killed no the control way. arm. Yes. 
So there's no way to have a longer term study than just a right. couple of months that they let it out there. And to me, that yeah. that in itself is evidence of of malfeasance. Right. Oh, absolutely. Because that um, can't be an accident. I'm a, who am I? I'm a, I'm just a friggin' podcaster, and I know that's not how right. you run a right. an experiment. I wouldn't even do that with my kids. Like you, whatever. Like, you can just, <laughs> in your day to day life, when you want to figure out what's the best way to ferment a sauerkraut, you do it two different ways, right. and you see it till the end. Yep. And and the other thing that it, it, following on this is there are already three schools, and I'm surprised there aren't more, who are already letting their students know they will mandate the new bivalent booster. Okay, so what this is, is a product. Booster? I don't know. It has more than one different type of mRNA instruction pack. So my understanding, and Kate, correct me if I'm wrong on this, it, you you create two different spike, spike proteins, not just the one, and it's for these like new um, variants. So this is going to come to the market, as far as I know, with absolutely no clinical trials. Um, it's not even in clinical trials yet, as far as I understand. And they're going to start mandating it, these schools, in mid-fall. And I've, so St. Olaf's, Bowdoin, and um, the third one will come to me. Oh, Wake Forest, which is this random three groups. They've already told their students they will have to get that. And oh, bonus, you can get it four months after your last booster. How do they know? Why four months? When have we ever been vaccinated over and over and over again for the same thing every four to five months? No, so these... These students are captive population and they're all guinea pigs. And I just think they should have a right to choose. I mean, I agree. And when yeah. you say captive population, not only are they a captive population, they're a captive population that's paying yes. unbelievable amounts of money. I mean, these schools, Wake Forest, Duke, et cetera, they're all $80,000 a year now when you tuition room and board. Right. I mean, over 10 months, it's $8,000 a month. I mean, that's a lot of freaking money to be paying to have someone then mandate you take an experimental vaccine. Right. Um, and kids are getting hurt. I don't know how many, uh, you know, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not an expert in the data. I'm really not, but it's such a, to me, it's so obvious. This is imprudent. And by the way, the shots don't prevent transmission. And right. that's the that. whole we got it twice thing. from vaccinated yeah. people. Right. And I just, I, I didn't even think of this as something that would be useful information for people, but we dodged a bullet because my daughter applied to a school uh, that has a booster mandate and she's, she would have been, I, I, you know, even she is not totally fine with that. Like she, now she sees that it doesn't work because she got COVID. She's like, what difference does it make? Which is weird. That's a real reflection of, of like the zeitgeist that she's ready to be open-minded about right, that. Right, right. That's They accepted her. Yeah, not to that the um, main campus, but they had they have an international program out of London that they let some kids go to or required some kids start there, and uh, they don't have the booster requirement there because England just kind of they said we just treat COVID like the flu or a cold and we don't test or anything. You're expected to stay home just like we would expect you to stay home if you had the flu. So actually that. That may be an idea. Like, I don't know how it's probably for some people are paying full freight anyway. Some of those European, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Kate, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the schools in the UK would admit, you know, look more favorably on applications from the US because they'll get all those yummy greenbacks. <laughs> And the money. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, many places in Europe are being more reasonable. I mean, the U.S. is definitely an outlier with how we've treated our children um, or yet even young adults um, compared to sort of our peer nations. So uh, I'm looking up this bivalent thing. It's it's the Moderna. 
it's a Moderna thing. And and here's the thing. Let's talk about this. Moderna today announced a deal worth $2 billion with the U.S. government to supply an initial 66 million doses for new COVID vaccine boosters that target the Omicron variant. Here's my problem with this is that, you know, what really drives me crazy is these people, these young people who are so, who are the most brainwashed by the vaccine stuff are also the people who love AOC, who are communists, you know, basically right. think that communism is cool. And they can't see that this is the most blatant uh, example of fascism I have ever right. seen in my life. Where's Antifa? They're, yeah, exactly. They're mandating, they're right. mandating vaccines that the taxpayer is paying right. the Big pharma for with profit. Now I can understand right. it's like, oh my gosh, this is a pandemic. If there are bodies in the street. You have to do your part. This is the Defense Production Act and you don't get any profit. I mean, that's what it is when it's a war, right? right. That's right. what you do. But it's not. It's profitable. And it's I'm a, an anarcho-capitalist. Like, I don't want to stop. But right. the problem with this stuff is it's using the force of the government not only to steal your money to give it to them, but to hold you down and jam it in your arm or right. deny you the college that you already paid for. For, through your taxes it's it, how these kids can't see that logical fallacy but that's part of the, the education crisis i guess no and they can't see it and there's a lot of peer pressure and then people will call us helicopter moms and i'm just like look until they wake up we're going to do this for them but it's even worse i mean it, they're not just being fascistic fascist whatever that you know they're not just being fascist doing this policy. It, fascist, they're also yeah. they're also using colleges as pharmaceutical marketing arms. And let me give you a couple of examples. There's a White House College Vaccine Challenge, okay? There are 800 colleges that are set up, that are signed up for that. You don't really get paid for it, but you get really big kudos. And part of that is you get social media kit to use to propagandize your students that vaccination is good and safe and they help you get m more shots in arms. And then they also encourage coaches and teachers to talk to their students about how they took the vaccine and how the vaccines are safe. So you're taking, especially a coach, right? You're, it's, it's such a manipulative, immoral thing for the government to do. And so this is a big program. And then the American College Health Association, it's not a government thing, but it's a nonprofit. And they are funded by the pharmaceutical companies, by insurance companies, and they are so pro-vaccine. And they also give, they want student influences. They have all sorts of social media campaigns. And to me, it's like, it's a medical decision. It's a medical intervention these kids don't necessarily need. Even if you look at the CDC data, they are not at risk of, uh, you know, mortality or morbidity from COVID, you know, infection. Most kids have already had it. They're forcing the boosters on people. They don't recognize natural immunity. And these organizations are propagandizing them all the time and making them feel like they're dangerous if they don't get these shots. Now, I'm hoping that will change soon, but that's how it's been. That sounds to me like there, I have a serious ethical problem with that, kind of like the Nazi youth kind of thing. Like you're recruiting these people, right? There's young people, students are part of the people who are being recruited into this White House college right. competition, right? And then the reason they need them, the reason they need to co-opt them is because they want propaganda to come from a credible source, a, a really authentic source that has the viewpoint, speaks the language of the audience. Yeah, they're so they take somebody. Yes, and it takes somebody just like that, like San Francisco and anchor woman, where 
they can deliver the message with complete sincerity because they truly believe it, but they're mm-hmm. saying words that somebody put in their mouths. But it's like when I see like the, the, the um, little kids all around the hospital in my town are these posters that were made by like six-year-olds and it's like non-smoking. It's non-smoking. This one's non-smoking, but they do the vaccine stuff too. But it's, it has ridiculous stuff that's not true. You know, like if you, if you smoke, your hair will fall out. You know, I mean, and it's like, but that's not true. I smoked for 20 years. Like, you know, you have nice hair. Thank you very much. I work hard on it. So they, they put this disinformation and they can do it because it's coming out of the mouths of babes. And of course, if it didn't work, they would, you know, if it wasn't saying the message they want, they curate that. So they could even bring 800 people in, ask them all to make their posters and things that, that cite real evidence. Like, here's the thing. Even if you have real evidence, I think they don't want you to cite real evidence because they want people to get out of the habit of expecting real evidence. Wow, so it's, really it's, it's, it's extra good for them to have kids who can't be expected to actually hang any facts on that you know, scaffolding and they can just bring it with a pure emotionalism and as well as forget what these words like pathos or whatever, like they, they are, you know, they're sympathetic and they're authentic and they're sincere and, and they are doing something that if it ends up killing people and later in their lives, they realize that they were used by the regime to foster a policy that's like a eugenics, potentially eugenicist type policy you know, that's that's a that's a serious problem that we're asking them to do something so potential. It's unethical because not only do we know about the bad things, but there's so many things, so many risks that we don't know about yet. And you well, just shouldn't put young people up to that's exploitive. Well, and one other point to make on that is not only are the okay, the kids are captive populations at these colleges and what college administrators um, are teaching them is we will take away your medical freedom and we um, will disregard your religious exemptions or we will be arbitrary with them and we will pressure you to do this thing. We're also training you to be leaders of tomorrow and we're modeling for you that leadership style. And that's really troubling to me. It's an insidious thing, but I think that's also happening. I had a question for Kate. Um, Do you have any parents who or, you know, stakeholders who are looking at colleges who want to make sure that the campuses are so-called safe because they, and so they want to go to campuses that have more restrictions or definitely mandate the vaccine. Are there people in that camp? I mean, honestly, I try to avoid it, (laughs) talking about it with my clients because I do have a number of uh, CDC doctor people, clients. So I just really, um, but I don't think there's people who want restrictions. Okay. I mean, that is, I I have not heard that. I wanted to ask both of you about your ideological journey. So I don't know about Joni, but Kate, even on your Twitter handle, it's kind of like, uh, you know, (laughs) transition from whatever, blue to red to clear or something like, you know, (laughs) where you were and where you are. And I'm interested in just a little bit about that journey, about what made you change your thinking. And 
on top of that, how our experiences now with lockdowns and mandates, and I absolutely don't call it the pandemic because the pan, Mm -hmm. whatever, the sickness was not our problem. The sickness was never our problem. I actually never even met anybody or knew of anybody who died who hadn't been in the hospital. So, you know, my brother died of AIDS supposedly, but he never had a single symptom of AIDS until he started taking AZT. And he was absolutely convinced that he was dying of AZT poisoning, which I absolutely believe. And that was Fauci's doing. So I feel like remdesivir ventilators were, you know, um, pathological approaches to the pathology. So I call it lockdown because that's what the problem was. And I just wonder how your ideological journey was influenced by that in addition to what how it was organically emerging. So Kate, why don't you start sure. with that? Um, I mean, I guess I grew up in in and around higher ed. My dad was a professor. So actually my parents met at Duke and then he was uh, 13 years at Harvard and then Emory for 20 something years. Um, so I was always in that bubble, which is, as we know, left leaning, but left meant something very different Mm-hmm. 25 or 30 years ago. And to me, it kind of meant like personal freedom. You can be who you are and maybe you care about environmental impact somewhat. Um, but that was pretty much it. Like, I mean, I don't even remember people talking about, um, I went to Penn undergrad and I don't remember, uh, you know, politics really being even a thing. Um, I think the big change for me, you know, well, one was getting older, but two, we moved to Canada in 2019 to Toronto. And the minute you step across the border, it just feels different. It's very much more restrictive there. Um, they call it more controlled or whatever. There's good things about Canada. I, I met some great people, fantastic people. Um, but really when everything changed was when they the the lockdown happened. They shut the border, all the restrictions. Um, you know, I couldn't even go to the grocery store with my husband. It was only one member per family. Like all the the you know the lines going up and down the aisles. They closed all the playgrounds. They closed the ski slopes. You couldn't even skate on the outdoor like pond. Like everything was illegal. You just had to be in your house permanently. Although they would deliver pot to your doorstep from the government should you want. That happened out here. It was awful. <laughs> I was sh- I know it's very upsetting though because out here they bring it to kids. Right. So, right. Yeah. No, it was really a terrible what they did to these kids. I mean, they, our schools all got by the end of it have, um, mental health counseling when Mm -hmm. I'm not going to like be specific, but somebody who is, who I know is very high up in school administration, you know, had to send his kid away to a, you know, a therapy school. Right. You know, I mean, the, 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 impact here and I don't even know like you were saying about they don't tell you you know people go away they disappear they go to hospitals right you really don't know what's actually up but yeah sorry that's so upsetting to me that they were still delivering the drugs oh yeah no so I mean and then basically I started uh you know, reading a lot. It started off, I was, you know, speaking out on Facebook in the early lockdown days, and I just got piled on so yes. badly. Were I mean, you a liberal, are, though? Were you a Democrat? I mean, I guess I've always, I mean, I had, I did vote Democrat. Um, I don't vote Democrat anymore. I did. No, I mean, I'm not um, accusing you. I just wondered, like, you're, <laughs> sorry. you're on, and even now, like, do you think there should be a safety net? You know, is government legitimate or not? You know, like, it oh does, my it God, does, like, Monica, answering those questions with all of the things that I know that you know, it's so hard. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's hard. I, I mean, I think the government is just, it's a cancer. It's just grown so much. I mean, I could make the argument for some kind of government, but like what we have now is 
just pathocracy. Yeah, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's a cancer. Yeah, Perfect. it's a cancer. But anyway, just uh, you know, the basically when I started speaking out, and all these people that I knew that were sort of lefties, and they're like, "Hey, you're so awful. You're gonna, you want your kids to die. You're gonna, you know, orphan them or you know, kill grandma." Just all these horrible accusations. When I'm just like. Um, raised my hand and basically said, we've never done this for a respiratory virus. We don't even have a good vaccine for respiratory viruses. So why would we now? This is insane. And and so that's when I moved over to Twitter and sort of found people there to sort of commiserate with. <laughs> yes. So that's what I was thinking also. And I want to hear about your answer to that question, Joni. And then both of you seem to, Twitter seems to be a real tool, although also it was both a shield and a sword, I guess, or a sword right. and a, you know, <laughs> a sword going in both directions. You lived by that sword and you died by fell that on sword. The sword. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So Joni, what, what was your ideological journey? Well, I was, I, you know, I started out like a liberal in college, you know, I was really big into reproductive rights. Um, and I don't remember a lot of things that that were political. I remember I went to Cornell and the big thing there was divestiture from South Africa because, you know, I'm dating myself. I was there in the eighties and, um, but it wasn't anything like it is today, as far as I remember. Um, and then I think I was more or less a Democrat. I didn't really give it a lot of thought. And then my husband went to see Ron Paul. And then we went to the Mises Institute, um, supporter summit. And I was like, Oh my God, this, these people are, these people got it. And so I've been, that That was a long, no, that was when it was at, um, it was in, gosh, Sulphur Springs, Georgia. It was where, um, it it was a long time ago. It was when Ron Paul was running, I think he was the keynote speaker. Oh, eight or 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was was probably oh eight. Um, it was after we'd moved to Indiana. And so I, I just started shifting in that direction. Um, when the, and so I would consider myself a libertarian. I don't know that I, a small L libertarian now. I mean, the right, whole right. party thing, you know, I'm, I love the Mises Institute. I felt really honored to be a speaker there recently on a panel with um, oh, the colleges. Great. And, you know, and I believe in voluntary society and all of that. Like, ideally, I'd be a minarchist, but I understand it's a slippery slope and all of that. So, wow. You know, so you're, you're all the way. You're like the full Rothbard here. Kind of, but I'm not, I don't have any intellectual, you know, currency that goes into that. I, I just, I've worked in, I've worked in big pharma. I've worked in big food. I understand how these things work. I've seen this government become the cancer. When this whole COVID thing started, at first I was like watching the videos of people dropping in the streets in China. And I was like, oh, terrified. And I was running out to get N95s. <laughs> And I, Kate, when you said that thing about Facebook, it's really interesting because really early on, I thought this vaccine is going to be an issue. This was even before it was developed. And so I said something about how I was concerned about forced vaccination or mandatory vaccination. And somebody said, oh, you're so ridiculous. No one's going to hold you down and shoot you. (laughs) And so that's when I also moved over to Twitter. Um, And I think it didn't take long for me to realize that this whole um, pandemic was there was something really wrong with it. There was something too propagandized on it. I, I do know um, a friend of mine lost their daughter. She was 27, but it was really early on. She had a lot of comorbidities and, you know, they slept on a ventilator and we didn't know. Right. So right. I, I think it does kill people. I think it can be serious. I think the numbers were all manipulated. I agree, um, but I don't think they were really trying to save oh, they, people. They were not. They were not. They were trying and they were suppressing all sorts of possible early treatments that maybe they didn't work, but they sure were safe. I mean, there was so much corruption. Like this was going to be a vaccine. 
Moderna, this was their Hail Mary. They had, me, you probably both know, yes. they had products in development for chronic treatments of things. They never solved their um Nothing's ever been issues. approved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, so pretty soon into this, my husband is a radiologist and he has a private practice and he was, their private practice was covering a number of hospitals in Indiana. And he just said, I'm not taking it. And that was okay until they mandated it. And then the hospital system would not give him a teleradiology exemption. They wouldn't allow him to work from home, never see a patient, oh and, and touch any case on the Cerner system of the hospitals. They wouldn't give it to him. Because they were saying that it set a bad example or what? No explanation, of course. No explanation. And it's never, nobody ever signs the thing. It's always they, the mm -hmm. committee. Um, and so he decided that he would die on that hill. And I was really shocked. So he gave up his hospital privileges and left his private practice. And now he works part-time for them, um, but not the hospital. He can't touch any cases because touching the computer may give him somebody COVID. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the, me so the medical system. I mean, this is probably oh. a whole other podcast, but the medical yeah. system is such an issue. Even Awful. the way, even the way they've selected for medical students over the last 25 or 30 years, they've churned out all these doctors who are literally can't think for themselves. Absolutely. Um, it, it's a huge issue. Like, and again, off topic, but like a huge, huge issue. And yeah. the other thing is, um, these big medical systems. So it used to be going back 30, 40, 50 years, so much more private practice. Now you have most doctors or employees. Right, of hospital they, systems. They're completely muzzled from having yeah, They have opinion. to because that's their bread and butter. I have to say, I want to pick up on this thread because it's interesting that when you said for 25, 30 years, they've been selecting med students because it's very hard to get into med school. I remember mm -hmm. even when I was at Harvard, like the Harvard kids could right. get into med school. Right. Uh, so we can see that hand-selecting people say, say that, I'm dovetailing this with the DEI stuff, the diversity, mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion, inclusion stuff that is obviously not this organic approach to help, you know, to reducing discrimination and bias and stuff like that. It's nothing like that. I've done some shows on it. I'm no expert, but... I do believe that the in one of the theories that the reason you do that, the reason you take people, you lower the like the objective standards, say test scores or whatever, and you take the people who would only get in because of this system, this overlay. Mm -hmm then they are 100% beholden to that system right. and they know it and and they either, they know instinctively they need to support that system and they also know they'd be nowhere without it and they might be like that anchor woman in, in San Francisco who's just like, boy, I don't get paid to think. Right. <laughs> Thinking is not what I'm here for. I'm here to write prescriptions and I've had that experience and, and they just pushed. The, I went to the doctor for something. I can't even remember what. I waited six months. She's supposed to be a great doctor. She went, I think I had heart palpitations, which went away when uh, I cut back on coffee and alcohol. Just so you know. <laughs> Who, knew? Who knew? Who knew? Who <laughs> knew? I didn't want to know that and she didn't tell me that. But what she did say is, before we talk about any of that, you need a whooping cough vaccine. And I was like, I didn't need to wait six months for that, honey. I was like, wow. yeah, I'm not worried about whooping cough. Well, you should be. I'm like, okay. And she says, and I have the shingles right here. I'm like, get the F away from Got me. Both I, guns blazing. Yeah. Yeah. She, and I just, you know, never went back, whatever. But um, yes, I feel like it does that you can see in action the long term intent of the DEI stuff by exactly how we just saw this unfold. Mm hmm. 
Well, you can also see like when you look at the pediatric, the American Association of Pediatrics or whatever, their messaging is so woke and so Mm -hmm. destructive to children in terms of the um, agendas they are promoting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't care what your politics are. You know, children have to be protected from this confusion. Um, And then just also seeing it, it's not just that you've, if you have to follow hospital protocol or you will get disciplined or you will get fired. But now there's the whole threatening with losing your medical license, which uh, is which different is than just losing ridiculous. your job. And That's so, ridiculous. you know, Aaron Cariotti talks about this, you know, it's mm-hmm. that whole not being able to practice under the Hippocratic Oath and, you know, taking care of the patient in front of you. It's taking care of the the Volk, you know, on behalf of the government. And it's 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 really bad capture, you know. I'm not yeah, an expert, but I the, see it on everywhere. The American Academy of Pediatrics has just been so disappointing. Oh. I mean, they've just watched kids, a mental health disaster, like a slow movement train wreck. Yes. And they've said nothing, yep. nothing. And their whole masking thing. I mean, oh, I still can't believe that they didn't stand up for children. Yeah. The last time I noticed, and this was some years ago, the Pediatric Association, I guess that's whatever, the APA or something. There's whatever big one was. AAPS or something? Yeah, whatever it is. Maybe. I thought it was the biggest one. And they said that gender dysphoria was a thing and that you shouldn't like interfere with the hormones or the physical body of someone who isn't an adult yet. And I imagine they must have withdrawn that nowadays but that was something that for the longest time like they just could not they couldn't get away with denying that it's inappropriate to take that kind of a personal step for young people so I kind of at the cusp of that you've got to figure there's something at work there other than a bunch of people objectively trying to get to the truth and right. there has to be something behind the fact that these places are totally captured. And and I and I think I think it goes to, yes, I agree, it's where the money comes from. I think that at the very top, you have to have some like really cynical or sinister people who don't care, like, you know what I mean? Just don't think there's a soul and have no respect for people who are less intelligent than they are. And then I think there's deliberately hiring or accepting or whatever people who have a profile to not think for themselves. And I know some firms and for a long time uh this was going on i believe in private equity which is big money that they were would give people elaborate psychological tests to see what kind of personality they had before they would hire them into this awesome job where they would make a ton of money especially like a woman or a minority where they would never be able to fire you they had to really tell what kind of a person you were and i think some of that is like are you a conformist are you a free thinker like and they're not necessarily going to select for what we think is good like I want a free thinking innovator, you know. Like I right. want a thought leader. <laughs> They're like I, I want a slight only one thought leader allowed. <laughs> yeah, I want I want a sociopath. I want a totally amoral, self serving order follower. That's what I want, and I think that they can test for that. And, uh, I have to. Speaking of jobs, I have to ask both of you. Uh, I assume both of your husbands still work. Yes. So do you worry that your public words and actions could affect your husband's jobs? Oh, yes, for sure. I mean, my husband works for a very woke I was like, don't, company. Don't say it. Wait, <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say it. wasn't going to say it. Um, one of the larger ones. Um, but yeah, they're totally woke and uh, would 
not approve of what I say. Um, and then like, uh, do you know Jennifer Say, who she oh, yeah. was at, at Levi's and, you know, she got in trouble for her comments and then her husband's comments as well. And that's led to her being fired or let go from Levi's. And, you know, she was a badass though and turned down like their million dollar uh, gag money. So she could not be muzzled. Right. Yeah. So, wow. she, you know, but yeah. I gotta but, have her on. Oh, you must. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can put you in touch. Great, great, great. How about you, Joni? What do you think? My it husband, like already, your husband, he already, already gave it up. It. And plus, yeah. you know, you know, we're at retirement age anyway. Right. Um, it, you can't tell that from my glowing skin, but <laughs> I just love, I wish I, maybe someday I'll go. <laughs> um, no, but he, um, he's so on board with this and, and my kid, you know, people are like, aren't you worried this is going to have blowback on your son? And I never thought about it and he's fine with it. He's not in the fight with me. He just took a job. Um, he's going to do senior year, but he's already got his job lined up for afterwards. And oh, nice. I, I worry a little bit about that, but then I'm like, I'm not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? It's not going to come back on him. Yeah. And look, the way I figure it is, it depends on the world that we live in or the world that you want to live in. Like at a certain right. point, unless you really can't even feed yourself. And then that's when right. I start thinking, yes, I don't, I don't want to take the Benedict option, which is what the Catholics call it, where you get outside the grid and you create your own community and that's where you live. I'm I understand. Old. I understand that. <laughs> and I understand, but even just theoretically, I don't want to do that because that circle, you can't defend it against the whole world. You have to stay connected to the world somehow. But if they shut you out, if you do what you can and you really cannot work and, and this is like straight out of Revelations where you have to have like the mark of the beast, you know, the little, yeah. I'm sure it's going to be like the gates. Um, I think they call it like Luciferos, whatever, which is the the illuminating dye that they put in the, like the uh, numbers they're going to tattoo on your arm. Like this is real oh, stuff. God. I'm not saying they're doing it, but I'm just saying that these are real patents that exist. Like if, if right. you're in a refugee camp and they need to know whether you've been vaccinated or not, they have to put something like a barcode like your dog has in there. But if if your kids are going to venture out into the world, I mean, there's a certain point where you've got to stop capitulating. You know, you you could you, the capitulation would just it would just never end. And mm -hmm. I I I don't have a lot of sympathy for. I really worry for my kids that they will be tempted to capitulate, but I don't worry about them failing to capitulate and not being able to succeed in that world because you know if they eliminate property ownership, then you're going to have a problem. But I don't think it's as hard to live off of chickens and potatoes. I always thought that I was like, I think a chicken and a potato, which are pretty easy to grow. Like, I think that's all you really need. Like, start with that, right? And then anything else is kind of like surplus. And Bonus. You get your, mi your mind around the problem, right? Yeah. Uh, so I do, I do worry about that, um, about them. But I also, another thing I worry about is that, you know, to the extent that my kids, that we're not in lockdown anymore, I just breathe a sigh of relief. It was so awful here in LA and I'm just mm. exhausted and I don't feel like keeping fighting. Like, how do you keep fighting like you especially Joni like how do you keep the fight just like you know what my my son's graduating like I just I've done my share I'm out well that's a really yeah, it's it's an absolutely true question I mean you get really you get burnout because you're up against so much and it's also very difficult when you know that the data is on your side like mm -hmm. it, it, and it's just not like I've just made a decision and have an assumption this doesn't make any sense in any data-based world and so that's discouraging all the time it's also very frustrating that a lot of students 
um, aren't awake to this at all. And a lot of parents who are will not use their names. They will not use their voices except in any, they want to be anonymous. They're so afraid of the school. So there are a lot of people who, you know, until people start standing up and realizing that, you know, you're not going to comply your way out of this. Um, and I don't, it's exactly. not like, I don't feel like I'm anything special in any way. I mean, I just thought, okay, I've got a voice. I'm going to use it. And it has cost me things. I mean, it has severed our family. It has, you know, all of my friendships are offered, um, altered. You know, it's painful. It really is. This hasn't been a cakewalk, but I've never thought there was anything else to do, you know, that I had to do a small thing, whether I'll continue doing this fight or I'll switch into something else and hope somebody else will step up for the college stuff. Um, you know, but I feel like it's, it's our responsibility to create a better world. Um, if we can, I mean, it, it may be too late. I don't know. But I will in Kate's defense point out that I would not let her use her name right here on Impulse. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. That's not what I meant No, no, I know. No, I know that's not what you meant. I'm not talking about on the media. I'm just talking about writing a letter to a college. Right. You know, or sending an email. That's all. I'm not, everybody should not be out in the media. People have to provide for their families and they have to be considered of other things. It's probably too late for Kate anyway, but I just couldn't bear the thought. Oh, no, no, no. Kate, 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 I didn't mean that at all. Oh, no, I don't care. But I I totally think you're completely right. And you can't comply your way. It's like, it's it's like an abusive relationship. You keep complying and they're like, okay, well, I'll just push a little bit further. Now I'm going to make you do this and I'm going to make you do this. And eventually you're just a slave. I mean, that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. So (laughs) I'm willing to fight. So, and you said about your friendships were altered. Did you also find that, Kate? Oh, yeah. John and I were just oh, talking about that <laughs> uh, earlier. Um, basically, our we had some friends who we've been friends with well over a decade. And when the kid vaccine got approved last November, um, we met up with them and they told us, oh, we just took our kids to get their their dose. It was like November 5th. And um, we were like, oh, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that anytime soon. Um, and they stopped. That was the end of our friendship. That was it? You didn't even say, are you crazy? What are you doing? What? Are you, why? No, Answer I didn't. One question, why? You know? I did not. That's that a, was the end. That was the end. So you I mean, were not abusing them and they will not associate with you. Correct. That's a correct. virtue thing though, because wow. prior to that, you know, they would have associates. They're not like afraid of, you know what I mean? What? Right? Like that's just a psychological reaction. They're not actually afraid of some kind of something, trillions of invisible monsters crawling out of your face. I mean, it it makes no sense to me. I still can't believe it. But yes. I actually have people in my life, and I don't know if they think this now, but very recently, I think they think it's a moral failing to have not gotten the vaccine. And it would be a moral failing not to vaccinate your children because somehow we're going to reach herd immunity. I mean, it's like, hello, oh, we're two really? years. In. Yeah. Or, you know, like, and, and we are still being held accountable for our original choice not to get the vaccine by some people. I you mean, know, it's, they, a, it's, they view it as a sacrament, I think, you know, it's a religion. Yeah. It's a very strange thing. I'm sorry about like, that, Kate. Yeah, yeah. They, they view it as, as a representation that you are willing to sacrifice for the group. Yeah. That you're willing mm-hmm. to sacrifice for the herd. You know, not not enhance the herd. So it's not. It's right. actually not quite like I'm contributing to herd immunity. I'm willing to take the risk for the good of the herd, right. which is a right. little different. You know, I'm willing to be that that lagging 
uh, zebra that's going to get the bite so that the other guys or like the birds when the birds fly, like right. they change, they switch positions. So sometimes right. some people are on the end, they're taking that risk. I think it's more like that. Like I try to get my mind around it. So uh, let me see if I've got a, a few other questions. First of all, this is my, my question for you gals. Are you afraid of monkey pox? <laughs> is it going to hurt my complexion? <laughs> it might, <laughs> but you um, would, I and I, I'm, I'm not afraid of monkeypox. Um, no, I mean, at the, at the Georgia stats just came out and it's overwhelmingly like 80 to 90% African-American men who have sex with other men who are also HIV positive. I mean, wow. It, well, then it, it could be a function of a lot of other, it could be a symptom of other things. Absolutely. I, who Who knows? But it is overwhelmingly like... Hands down, I think there is one woman who got it. One, it's, the kid, it's very the, much the uh, teenagers out here. It's got, it must be going around TikTok or I don't know what, but they've got these kids worried about it. <laughs> well, like, schools have schools have colleges have started to send out communications about monkeypox to uh, their students, and they don't they don't spe- they don't specifically talk about how narrow it is. Like Kate, you were just saying, they talk a little about that, but. Yeah, it, that, so that's going to go out to every college student, I can guarantee you, by the wow, time the fall term start. That's scary. And people have started I, point, pointing out the public health response to monkeypox has been more in line with the response to sort of AIDS, which is like, well, we can't shame people. We can't tell people not to have you know, sex parties or whatever, but it's fine for COVID to lock people in their houses, to keep right, kids away from right. school, like all that. I mean... The, the hypocrisy is just stunning. Well, it's consistent with the, the theory, the, this whole DEI, yeah. ESG, you know, all the yep. stuff that like this, you know, that just this idea of, of reshaping the culture on subjective grounds. Well, that, I mean, think about it. you couldn't go to your loved one's funeral, but if you went to a protest for Black Lives Matter with George Floyd, you somehow weren't contagious. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about these people. Exactly. Yeah, I can't believe they didn't do the Roe thing, that Roe versus Wade wasn't, didn't fold into that. Well, it's, it it's been late. interesting because it, all of the colleges and, and the American College Health Association, and I, again, our organization takes no position on that ruling, you know, any, we don't right, have a right. Oh, yes, on no, it. I wasn't. But what was, in, no, I know, but what was interesting to me was the outrage about the loss of bodily autonomy I for college know. students. And it's like, Hello. Oh, I know. You know, at the same know. time, totally yeah. violating their bodily autonomy. Right. Like, right. Yeah, hands off my body. And I keep wanting yeah. to put like, you know, <laughs> this is all over the back Hello? of the cars. I want to put like a little um, no vax mandate, you know, sticker yeah. on so the that. So that car. was really interesting. So we, we do have to wrap. I want to be respectful of your time. And I so appreciate it. And I would really like to do it again because we have um, other common interests outside of this topic. <laughs> but I did, in conclusion, wanted to ask you both if there was anything you wanted to tell people to pursue Twitter accounts or whatever. But I also want to know, Joni, why you are called Lady Spalding. Um, I, I have no idea. I made it up. Spalding is... No um, way! Yeah, I made it up. Spalding is actually, I'm adopted. It turns out that that was my biological father's name. And so I just decided I wanted to be a lady. 
And well, because there is a Catherine <laughs> Spaulding who uh, she was also known as Mother Spaulding, an American educator who is co-founder and longtime mother superior of the Sisters of Charity of Nazareth. She pioneered <laughs> education, health services and social services for girls and orphans in Louisville and other Kentucky states. So I was like, oh, oh. She's, she's way better than I am. So, <laughs> Maybe yeah. it must, she must be Lady Spaulding. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, I'm going to let you go. But uh, Kate, did you want to do you? Well, you're at Kate underscore Freedomer on Twitter. I am. I and am. Is there, that's, all, that's the only place I am right now. <laughs> all right. That's great. And then, Joni, you're at Lady Spaulding 11. No, no, no punctuation no, on Twitter. Yeah, and what else you do know, you want to tell people about? I just want to say, um, if you are interested in anything about colleges, go to nocollegemandates.com. On that site, you'll get access to a spreadsheet that shows colleges that do and don't mandate with different policies. It's updated regularly. You can access our Substack, which, um, you know, we're not we don't publish a lot, but what we publish, we feel is useful. And you can find links to our Telegram group, which is a very good place to find people on the ground at the college that you're looking at. So nocollegemandates.com. And on Twitter, we're at NCM for the numeral ever. Awesome. Fantastic. I cannot thank you both enough for your time. And it's just so fun and interesting to hang around with gals who, you know, know what they're talking about and have the courage of their convictions. It's been a real pleasure. And I hope to talk to you both soon. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.